This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast on Space Launch Day, March the 2nd. It is a Thursday and we have been live during liftoff with a host of space experts this morning. That includes Nada Al-Shamari. She is the Chief Inspiration Officer and a partner at Orbital Space. She has launched several educational and scientific uh, missions into space before, including on the Falcon X and including to the International Space Station. And she has been a space commentator with us this morning. We've also been speaking to Dominic Sharaf of the LSG Group. They are space caterers. Yes, indeed. Uh, they provide comfort food to the International Space Station and several European space missions. We've been finding out um, how you make food space ready. Not the only story, though. We've also had some cracking numbers out from Fly Dubai. Uh, Rich has been speaking to the CEO, Gaith Al Gaith. And we've been looking at one of our other big stories of this morning, which is the UAE clarifying what it takes to count as a tax resident here in the UAE with the head of taxation of the law firm Al Tamimi & Co, Shiraz Khan. It is a beautiful morning across the UAE and thankfully it's a beautiful evening over in the United States at the moment, specifically Florida, uh, where, Brandy Scott, we are T-minus. Oh, we are T-minus 28. We're in the final half hour. Into the final countdown, as Europe would say, and into what will be and could be a very significant day for UAE and, of course, GCC and Middle East and Space Prospects. Lots going on uh, here in studio, lots going on uh, over in NASA at the moment as they ready themselves for the launch. Uh, and if you are looking at the uh, the pictures of this, things are happening with throttles. There's white smoke, I'm assuming, and I'm turning to our space expert to my right. Nada Al-Shamari is the Kuwaiti space expert. She's a woman who has launched several launches, including to the ISS, of educational missions. She is from Orbital Space. The white smoke, Nada, what's going on? So um, since these rockets are using uh, the, the jet fuel I described, of course it has the really um, extremely cold oxygen. The oxygen is needed so that when the rocket gets to space, of course there's no uh, oxygen in space, it can still continue to burn and take the, uh, the mission to outer space. So whilst it's here on Earth and it's being fueled now, that's why you start seeing it now, um, it hits the skin of the rocket and hits the very warm atmosphere of the F- Florida coast and creates this condensation. And that's the white kind of smoky looking stuff that you're seeing there. So nothing to be alarmed about. Nothing at all. Adds to the atmosphere as well. Yeah, absolutely blessed to have uh, our special guest uh, live here in studio, Nada Al-Shamari, partner and chief inspiration officer at Orbital Space, uh, an educator, a filmmaker, an entrepreneur in her own right uh, and... Um, not just talking the talk, but uh, also walking the walk and wearing uh, what she does with pride today as well. Uh, Nada, you come into studio wearing the badges of Orbital Space and, of course, the the space programmes here. So is Orbital Space, a uh, in terms of sort of the, 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 the interest for Orbital Space, is it, I know that originally from Kuwait, but now based here in the UAE, is that right? So would it, is it, could one class it as a GCC programme? 
Well, of course, we uh, our programs are open to everyone, oh. also not just in the GCC. So, for example, currently we have a really amazing uh, competition and opportunity for everyone around the planet Earth to submit an idea to our next mission, which is headed to the surface of the moon. And the competition is to uh, submit an idea to run an experiment on the surface of the moon to be launched in 2025. And that specific opportunity, we wanted to, to be able to make sure that everyone knows that space is for everyone. Um, and you don't particularly have to be an engineer or an expert in a particular field. You just have to have a passion for space. For us in orbital space um, in UAE, we originally started in Dubai, but of course moved to the UAE because there's such an amazing ecosystem. Mm and a really super support from leadership, which makes amazing things, including what we're witnessing today, possible. I mean, imagine the call for astronauts was was only just a few years ago, 2017. And then you have four astronauts now that have gone through training. And of course, uh, Sultan Al-Niyadi has gone, since, since his acceptance on the program, he's gone through years of training, of course, at least 20 months with NASA to earn his uh, astronaut pin. And then, of course, a lot of other training with Roscosmos, JAXA, and ESA as well. For us at Orbital Space, it's important for us to create opportunities where youth can connect with why um, what Sultan is doing is important Mm -hmm. and what it could mean to our future and their future and um, a sustainable development, not only here, but for the whole world. It's interesting you mentioned there because obviously we've uh, you mentioned there quite rightly the four uh, astronauts who've been through that grueling uh, training program as well, uh, one of whom is about to momentarily, hopefully fingers crossed, make his way into space for the very first time, becoming the second Emirati into space. But also, as we've been hearing throughout uh, the last couple of days, uh, the UAE home to those that uh, are looking to commercialise space uh, and those that have actually been to space on some of the recent space tourism and commercial projects. None more so than Captain Hamish Harding, a pilot by trade, a long distinguished career as a pilot, uh, but by more recently a space adventurer with Blue Origin. He's actually based here in Dubai, runs his businesses out of Dubai. He's a UA-based aviation and space expert. Uh, he will be featuring uh, on the Dubai One coverage, but he was kind enough to speak to Georgia Tolly before that to give his thoughts on to why he thought the last launch, the first initial launch on Monday was scrubbed. What actually happened on Monday morning, our time, was that there was a nitre fluid problem. They use pyrophoric fluid, which is all very exciting. I'm a former chemical engineer by degree, and it's all very exciting. Pyrophoric fluid spontaneously ignite when they contact air. So it's very exciting fluid. It had a problem on Monday, and so the launch was pulled. And uh, that is uh, quite a shock to astronauts sitting there ready to go. But They're trained to do this. They're back in play a few days later. Captain Harding there. Yeah, and Nada, you know firsthand what it's like to have to scrub a launch, to have to hold a launch. The emotions must have been running high yesterday. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one thing that I have to say is super exciting being on the Space Coast and awaiting that uh, Falcon 9 rocket to go up. Um, We launched our first satellite to space in 2021, also uh, with SpaceX on Falcon 9. Of course, Falcon 9 today is the first time that it's being used, but it's one of those rockets that gets reused. Ours was one of those that was being reused. Um, within the last few seconds of liftoff, our launch was hold, so it was scrubbed. And uh, 
our our launch actually it wasn't a technical issue. It was an external issue. I think it it was an airplane or a boat or something that kind of got into the radius of the launch. And how did that feel? It was catastrophic, but it wasn't so bad because our、uh, next launch date was only a few days away.、Mm. So very happily, we came back to the launch site and we had a very successful launch. A window of opportunity. Obviously, we've heard already,、uh, haven't we? Let's bring Serena Kelly into the conversation here. That we've got a couple of、uh, reserve days.、Uh, should hopefully that nothing will go wrong. But if there is a scrub today, there are a couple of reserve days. Yeah, they're looking at the third and fourth. But hopefully, everything going according to plan. Nine thirty-four a.m. UAE time liftoff, and then you've got approximately that twenty-two-hour journey to the International Space Station.、Uh, but Nada was rightly talking. Talking about how Sultan Al Niyadi、um, and his predecessor Hazza Al Mansouri, who's also been there in Florida,、um, just the journey of reaching up to the to this monumentous moment. And、uh, Hazza Al Mansouri, he was speaking with NASA before the last launch and spoke about their journey leading up to this point. To say that in schools back home, to say that I want to be an astronaut, that was something that not an option for us. But when they did the announcement back in 2017, and we saw that opportunity, we applied, Sultan and myself, and 4,000 applicants from UAE, just to apply and to be UAE astronauts. So we had that privilege. We have been selected for the first patch in UAE. We went to Russia to train, and I went to space. I flew to space in 2019.、Uh, Sultan, he was my backup in that mission, and I, I am now as his backup in this mission. That was an amazing journey for both of us. And he's not the only one we've been hearing from. Sultan's dad is naturally very proud. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. أنا اليوم حقيقة يعني فخور بهذه المناسبة وفخور بسلطان. ما بكونه ولدي. So that translation on this momentous occasion, I am really proud of Sultan, not just because he is my son, but because he is a son of the UAE. Brandy Scott is keeping an eye on T minus、uh, two minutes and seven seconds. If you want to watch this live, you can head to the Dubai I one hundred three point eight Instagram account.、Uh, we've got the live feed there from Florida,、um, so that's where if you want to watch the rocket take off, and it is very dramatic indeed. I suggest you do. Right, we are. We'll have more analysis for you live in studio in just a few moments' time. Two twenty-six and counting at the moment. Let's cross over to Mission Control in NASA for more build-up. This is a good,、uh, a good sign here. Yep. Bill ticking forward, coming up on ninety seconds. Yeah, cool that it started. Backlighting. There you go. The ambient noises at the pad. It's the best. Oh my god. We'll keep an eye on the images coming through from NASA, Dini. I can see a number of UAE dignitaries following this one. I've spotted、uh, His Highness Sheikh Hamdan, the Crown Prince of Dubai. Spotted Mohammed Al Gagawi as well. There, many, many others following this one very closely indeed, Tom. Uh, lots going on here in studio. Lots going on over at NASA Mission Control in Florida. Forty-five seconds. Forty-five seconds and counting.、Uh, we will, of course, keep you updated on the launch. Dragon, SpaceX, go for launch. Nice. SpaceX, Dragon, copy. Go for launch. You might ask thirty seconds.
20 seconds to go. 15 seconds. T minus 10. Time to turn up your speakers. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Engines full power. And lift off of crew 6. Go Dragon, go Falcon. Copy, 1 Alpha. Vehicle is pitching downrange. Stage 1, propulsion nominal. Uh, monitoring the situation there, and we will keep an eye on the images coming through for us. One Bravo. Copy, one Bravo. The first stages of the launch are complete. Nadar Shamari joining us live here in studio. Um, getting quite emotional uh, at the moment there as well. Uh, your take so far on the launch, successful? Well, just amazing, just amazing. Um, you can see there the Falcon is, is really uh, trucking it to space. It's traveling at 10 times speed of light. Um, hence, that's why the, the NASA engineers described it as going supersonic. It doesn't take long at all to reach space um, at that speed. And the colours are quite amazing. If you are watching this, and if you go to our Instagram feed on, uh, for Dubai Eye 103.8, you will see this. There's purple, it's red. What are the colours, Nada? What's actually burning off there? So the the rocket fuel is, is burning off, and you can see that it, it expressed in these amazing colours as it reaches the, uh, the edge of space. And what technically is the, the edge of space? So if you and I were to reach a 100-kilometer mark, that would make us astronauts, and that, that you can call is the edge of space. And that's, and these guys are, are reaching that at the moment, that's what and you're saying? They're, they're going to reach that and beyond. So just heading back to the coverage courtesy of NASA and the rest of the team. Why? Because significant a part of the mission coming up with the uh, detachment. Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you can hear the people on the press side. I love it. Yep. So, so what we're hearing there seconds. is the main engine cutoff. So what's happening, Nada, with this? This is when the rocket starts to divide into its various pieces, correct? So the, the rocket has three parts, and the first part, of course, is going to detach um, and come back down to the Cape, the Cape Canaveral, to the Space Coast. Um, and everyone down there will be able to experience its landing and, of course, the sonic boom that I described earlier as it comes down and uh, lands perfectly on its um, uh, drone ship. And, and of course, uh, there are several drone ships to meet the Falcon as it comes back down to Earth. 
Everyone will also be able to see it coming down close to the Space Coast. And the next part will be uh, the second section of the Falcon, which is going to propel the Dragon further towards its destination, the International Space Station. And it could take um, several hours uh, for it to reach its final destination, I guess, uh, for today's mission, it's going to take about 20 hours for them to reach their final destination, the International Space Station. Well, after a Monday morning scrub, we have a Thursday morning liftoff. The SpaceX Falcon 9 has launched successfully and is heading into space. Uh, and of course, that means that the UAE has successfully launched its second uh, Emirati into space. Shukran, SpaceX. I would like to say thank you to, for everybody. Thanks to my parents, my family. Thanks to our leadership, the Mohammed Barashi Space Center for their trust. Thank you for everybody who trained us and got us ready for this mission. This is incredible. Launch was incredible, amazing. Thank you so much. And last but not least, thank you, NASA. Thank you, SpaceX, for flying us to space. Go Dragon, go SpaceX. Sultan Anayadi there giving uh, his thoughts. Um, and that's extraordinary, isn't it, Brandy? He's up there. It is. That was just seconds ago, Sultan Anayidi, um speaking from his horizontal position um, in the nose cone of that rocket. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right, let's get more on our top stories this morning. Profits surging at Fly Dubai. Joining us on the line is the Chief Executive, Gaith Al Gaith. Gaith, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. And I bet you are as well, because this is a cracking set of numbers. 1.2 billion dirhams of profit for 2022. That is way ahead of even pre-pandemic levels. What's the story? Well, the, uh, the story is, of course, um, it's a, a fantastic rebound uh, of business uh, back here in, in Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. And uh, as Fly Dubai, of course, uh, is the result of uh, how, we, how the government have managed uh, the pandemic, uh, the big trust that we have for people coming here. Plus, uh, we are in Fly Dubai, uh, did a good job. I think in Try and the team did a good job in predicting uh, that uh, Dubai will bounce back. And uh, we uh, were ready and we grew. We, we've added 17 aircraft, for example, last uh, versus the year before. And we are adding another uh, 17 or 15 this year again because we uh, we knew that when the business uh, going to come back, uh, uh, the business will come back uh, with a venture. So I think uh, th- these are uh, the two main, main, main reasons. If we look at 2022, you had a couple of major events which really boosted you. And you, you mentioned them. You say the year was bookended by Expo at the beginning of 2022. And this event happening in Doha at the back end of 2022. Have a listen to this, Gaith. You'll recognise this moment because I know you're a football fan. That was Saudi Arabia's victory over Argentina. One of the moments of the World Cup. I thought 
I thought he wanted me to translate. <laughs> we would be delighted for you to translate. But I think we, we, we all got the, the, the message there that the World Cup, and you mentioned this in your earnings release, was a big event for Fly Dubai. You were doing up to 30 or more shuttle flights per day to Doha. How big an impact did that have? No, it's a big impact. Uh, you know, the uh, pro- probably in my own uh, uh, lifetime experience working, it was the best month uh, of uh, work satisfied from the results of the business and uh, being attached to football. It was the best month, but it was only just one month. It was incredible. And, of course, that had a, a very positive I- impact on, uh, on our success. And as you are rightly said, the back end uh, of, uh, uh, of the Expo uh, had a big impact on our business. And I think Expo also continued to have an impact because a lot of people uh, came to Dubai and Dubai was much more uh, famous and that uh, business as usual here and how fantastic this uh, place is, uh, is a result of also Expo. Let's talk about fuel prices. You say it is your single biggest expense, 34% of your expenses. Today, Brent crude is almost $85 a barrel. How are you managing that? Well, you know, with uh, with Fly Dubai, you, you know, we are also very, um, very uh, sort of, uh, I would say, thoughtful in the in the sense that you know we also bought aircraft, the Max that we we have. It's a, it's a more cost efficient aircraft. It's uh, it's probably saved fourteen uh, percent to twelve percent versus the the NGs. So by by having a younger younger aircraft, more efficient. That, that reduces our our cost, and uh, of course, you, you know uh, uh, that has uh, one way of managing. But one of the characteristic uh, of this uh, performance this year, because of the high demand, uh, you, you know the prices stayed high, so the the yield probably was uh, the highest uh, we've ever seen in in, in the uh, in the whole industry, and I think that. Uh, that contributed to offsetting the uh, high cost of fuel. Uh, Gaze, competition is really hotting up in the low-cost carrier market here in the UAE. Back when you launched, it was you and Air Arabia, and that was kind of it. But now customers have got a whole range of low-cost carriers out of uh, out of Dubai. You've got, we were just talking about Wizz Air, Abu Dhabi earlier on, Air Arabia's in Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, Flynass in and out of Saudi. I, I could go on. How are you seeing the competitive landscape and how are you reacting to that? Well, you know, we are uh, the, the, the way we have uh, always set up here in the United Arab Emirates and especially in Dubai, be it, uh, you, you know, we, we have an open sky here. Everybody can operate into and uh, from the United Arab Emirates. We've always uh, been very adaptable, uh, adapting uh, to, to, the, to, to the competition, uh, you know, by making sure that, uh, you know, we are doing our job, making sure that we are delivering the best service to the customer and always evolving by uh, creating new business. Uh, you, you know, you have to always grow. And that's why in, in Fly Dubai last year, we probably launched what, uh, 15 new destinations. Uh, we'll probably be doing a, a number similar to this uh, this year. And that's, that's what, uh, what, uh, what keeps you successful. And as I said, you know, the demand to the United Arab Emirates and especially to Dubai has been probably the highest I've ever seen it 
for the whole 30 plus years I've been in this business. And I, I think this is uh, uh, the result of what uh, our government uh, have done to position our country where we are right now. And I think this is just the start. I believe that this boom that we have uh, or high demand for uh, Dubai will continue, uh, it's already continuing this year. We can feel the, the, the demand there. And uh, that's why we need all the airlines, all the capacity that, uh, to, to support uh, this huge demand. Gaith, can't let you go without a quick word on something uh, happening a little bit higher than the 33,000 feet that your planes fly at. Your compatriot Sultan al Nayadi is strapped in and ready for launch on the space mission this morning, about two hours to go. What are your thoughts on that? A quick word, Gaith. A fantastic moment. Uh, you know, a United Arab Emirates, a fellow UAE national, uh, is ready to go to space. It's probably the most exciting uh, mission uh, by, uh, by a UAE individual. And, uh, you know, our hearts is beating uh, for a successful mission and uh, very proud of this woman. Proud moment for the whole nation, uh, Gaith. And we can't let you go without one more comment as well. Great numbers for Fly Dubai, flying high at the moment. Talking of flying high... Good result for Arsenal last night. Five points clear at the top of the table. 13 to play. Do you believe? I believe. I born. I born a believer. <laughs> yes, top of the league, uh, and, and that's why if my if my voice sounded a little bit, uh, I was shouting last night, enjoying the game. <laughs> Good on you. Well, we will be believing along with you throughout the rest of the season. Uh, thanks, Russian D. That's Gaithar Gaith, chief executive of Fly Dubai, an avid football fan. You should get. Gaith or Gaith on extra time of the week. We've had him on. He's been on before, you know. He is, he is, he's out there with the most avid Arsenal fans in town. There are a few, that's for sure, because the Emirates connections, that's for sure. But he is a man with, um, obviously runs a very successful business, aviation business, but his football knowledge is second to none. And I would compare it with almost uh, a Chris McCarty or something like that. It's encyclopedic. It really is. High praise indeed. <laughs> this is the Business Breakfast. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. And looking at one of our top stories of the day, the Ministry of Finance releasing guidelines on how to determine if you are a tax resident of the UAE or not. This is a clarification of a cabinet decision from last year, but we've now got the details. Very pleased to be joined by Shiraz Khan, who is head of taxation at the law firm Al Tamimi. Shiraz, good morning. Thanks for speaking to us. Good morning. Why do you think we're getting these details now, Shiraz? What's behind this move? Well, there was a cabinet decision which was issued in November uh, for defining for the first time tax residency from a UAE perspective. Uh, prior to that, uh, there was no statutory definition of tax residency and tax residency in the UAE was de- determined by reference to certain practical requirements. Um, clearly, we, we've, we, have, we, we still don't have a personal income tax, and that's why historically we haven't had a definition of tax residency for individuals, but it was relevant for treaty purposes. Uh, the reason why uh, the ministerial decision has been issued yesterday is because the cabinet decision which was issued in November became effective from the 1st of March. Okay, so so when this you... provides further detail on the application and interpretation of that cabinet decision. Okay, so when you say that it is for treaty purposes, are we talking about double taxation agreements to avoid paying personal tax in other countries? 
Yeah, it's not to avoid paying uh, paying tax in other countries, but it's to eliminate double taxation because you may have situations where an individual is considered resident in in the UAE and another country, and the the treaty determines who has the taxing rights for, for in respect of the individual's income. Okay, well, let's have a look at how many days you have to be in the UAE each year to count as a tax resident. We've got two thresholds here, 183 days and 90 days. How are you reading that? Yes, I mean, they're very much in line with international requirements. And historically, when there was no statutory definition of residency, there was already a requirement to be president and living in the UAE for 183 days, and that's been retained. And in addition to that, the cabinet decision introduced a new requirement where you could still be tax resident in the UAE if, if you live in the UAE for 90 days uh, and you meet certain other requirements. What other requirements? What else is on the list, Shiraz? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially to do do with the fact that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in the UAE and if you live here 183 days, so part of a day will be considered a day, it doesn't have to be consecutive days. So it's 183 days uh, in any 12-month period. And similarly, it's 90 days in any 12-month period. Uh, and the same uh, rules in terms of determining whether you're in the UAE for a particular day apply, which I just referred to earlier. Um, in addition to that, in order to meet the 90-day condition, uh, you need to be a UAE national, UAE resident, or you could be a GCC national. Now, if you're a GCC national, you need to meet certain additional conditions. For example, you need to have uh, a permanent home in the UAE, uh, or you need to be employed or have a business in the UAE. Uh, where do we get into other things such as links, housing, um, your emotional ties to a country? Yeah, that's, that's also relevant. It's, it's relevant in, in determining whether you have a permanent place of residence in the UAE. And the ministerial decision provides some further guidance. So they'll essentially look at the nexus you have with the UAE and the social ties. So, for example, do you have a house here, apartment here, room here? It needs to be available to you. Uh, so there is an element of permanency and you need to have you know, a continuous right of occupation. So, for example, if, if, if you have a short-term stay in an apartment, that will not count. If you're living in a hotel, that will not count. And th- 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 there's no need to actually own the property. So you could simply rent it and you could meet the residency conditions, even if you don't, have, uh, if, even if you don't own the home. Does this outweigh other countries' uh, necessities for, for tax residency? I mean, I think of my own. Um, the New Zealand government's got its own criteria for whether they think I'm a tax resident or not. Even if I hit those marks in New Zealand to qualify for tax, could I turn around and say, ah, but in Dubai, I'm a tax resident, so I can't be yours as well? That's absolutely right. The UAE has the right to define tax residency on its own terms and obviously whatever is important to the UAE and it's gone ahead and done that. Now, there may be other countries which define tax residency in a different way. And that's why we have double tax agreements in place, uh, you know, where where you're resident in, in two countries, UAE and that other country. The double taxation agreement determines in which country uh, you should be taxed. Of course, when there's no double tax agreement, then there's additional complication and you could end up being liable to tax in two countries. But the UAE has a very wide uh, treaty network. It has double tax treaties in place with, I believe, over 100 countries.
Shiraz Khan, Head of Taxation at Altamimi & Co. Thank you so much for joining us and clarifying that in the Business Breakfast. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We're looking at the science angle this morning. We've just had a uh, aeronautical space engineer in the studio who's been launching satellites with Elon Musk. He's joined us from Sharjah. Uh, we are going to be speaking to another space expert to talk us through the actual physics of the rocket launch over the next hour. We are going to hear from uh, Mr. UAE Space himself. Georgia Tolly has conveniently been speaking to the guys from the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre for us. We're going to hear from Salim Al-Mari. But what we want to know on the business breakfast is, what about the snacks? Never accuse us of not being on the big story. Last night, I was speaking to the space caterers. The LSG Group has been supplying comfort food for a number of missions for the European Space Agency and to the International Space Station. Uh, So I wanted to know... What did you need to do to get a bit of not good food in space? Dominic Shafat uh, of LSG has been speaking to me, talking to me about how space food is actually evolving. Yeah, space food is nowadays high quality meals. So at least the bonus meals that we are producing for astronauts, uh, those bonus meals are uh, made to deliver a sort of home feeling in space. Uh, They are made as comfort food and they are usually the dishes astronauts choose and they like most and they want to have in space. Also, there is a social aspect to it because astronauts want to share with their colleagues uh, their taste, um, their their, their home feelings and build a social connection to uh, the other people in space. So what kind of food do they request then? Well, it's very different. Uh, It very much depends on the astronaut. So um, the first astronaut we supported with space food um, wanted to have uh, food that uh, he had while traveling um, to feel reminded of um, his travel memories. And for example, we created an Indian butter chicken for him, uh, but also dishes from his home region um, in Germany. And uh, the second astronaut we provided with space food uh, just wanted a totally regional menu um, and uh, also he asked us for uh, Indonesian beef rendang, what was travel memories for him. What are the rules and the parameters around space food, though? Does food have to be different in space than on the Earth? Well, space food is autoclaved, so that means uh, it is uh, sterilized uh, under um, a cooking process. So you basically have to cook the food three times. Once it is prepared, uh, once it is sterilized and a third time, when they warm it up uh, on the International Space Station. Uh, So um, you're actually limited uh, when it comes to food because braised dishes work brilliantly well. Um, uh, A shortly cooked steak, for example, uh, would not work in space. Uh, Also, there are some restrictions by the space agencies uh, that you have to obey. Uh, For example, the use of salt is restricted um, as we know that um, astronauts have a hard time with their bones in space as they are not moving a lot. And then they have to be really be careful uh, in terms of their salt consumption. What about how taste buds behave in space? Because I know even in aeroplanes, your taste buds are slightly different. Yeah, in uh, airplanes, is, uh, it's due to the pressure in the cabin. Uh, so we um, experience a similar effect uh, in space, actually. Um, but uh, for us, it's uh, relatively hard to um, prepare the food according to space, as we have no chance to like test it up there. Uh, so it's a, it's down to the gut feeling of our chefs. 
do any particular flavors work well like maybe more unami maybe more acid yeah as we are uh, restricted in in the use of salt uh, we use some uh, natural as you call it umami um, flavors for example mushrooms work very well onions uh, and uh, certain combinations of spices what about calories do astronauts mean need more calories than the rest of us well, astronauts need more calories because they are relatively active there and they uh, very closely monitor the calorie consumption. Um, so uh, we uh, actually provide a very detailed um, nutrition info on uh, the uh, single cans that we provide to space. And astronauts are then perfectly able to implement this in their, into their diet. And what kind of rules do you have to obey in terms of the space of space food, if you like, the weight and the parameters, because obviously everything that's on the uh, ISS is is taking up only as much space as it needs to. Yeah, we are providing the space food in cans, um, what is uh, down to um, the rules that the uh, space agency uh, sets up. Um, space, uh, those those cans are relatively um, relatively small, uh, and uh, they have uh, they are they are limited in terms of size, so there is a special size to it, uh, so that they can uh, be shipped uh, up into space. And that is Dominic Schreff of LSG. They are the space catering company that provides comfort food to astronauts. Right, let's get some more insight into today's significant space mission. Salam Al Mari is a man who will be busy, busy, busy throughout the day. Director General for Scientific and Technical Affairs at the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center, right here in Dubai. He's been speaking to George Atolli ahead of the launch. In fact, just yesterday, uh, obviously, he wanted to get his reaction first and foremost to the flight being scrubbed on Monday. When you're getting that close to launch, you're really getting excited and hoping that everything goes according to plan. We did have a little bit of insight that they were tracking a problem, so we had an eye on it. And with the human space flight, it's really complicated. You know, it's not just a normal Falcon 9 rocket. So the complexities with human space flight and the, the attitude of taking no risks, crew safety first, we were pretty uh, relieved and we understand that that can happen. So what does an astronaut actually do when they've been stood down? Uh, Georgia asked what Sultan had been doing since the flight was, as Tom said, scrubbed. Yeah, he was back sooner than he expected. So I've seen him a couple of times since. And, you know, you go to these behind the glass uh, meetings because we're not in the quarantine bubble. So you meet him in a very sterile quarantine environment behind the glass. And he was in good spirits. The whole crew were in good spirits. And basically, they are sleep shifting to GMT, you know, because the space station works in GMT. They do a bit more exercise. They go through medical checks, nutrition, and they're in a waiting mode preparing for the launch itself. So are we good to go today? Uh, yes, it's looking good for launch now. So uh, the technical issues that had come up with the engine bleed and the ground systems uh, look to have been solved by SpaceX and NASA. The weather brief looks 90% favourable. So things are looking good now for launch and barring any uh, other issues that pop up, hopefully this will be a, a nice launch for us all. And Salim Omari is the Director General for Scientific and Technical Affairs at the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre, speaking to Georgia Tolley last night. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.